Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Brian, hey, Dad. No surprise, still in Omaha. We will join up with him coming up in just a little while. Spend a, a couple of segments with him. He'll be back with us again in the 5 o'clock hour. Sports Talk Mississippi on this Monday and every day, brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at MS. Landbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got a recreational piece of property on your mind, maybe you've found what you're looking for, maybe you're just starting to get into the market, Mississippi Land Bank can help with that. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. You can find branch locations throughout North Mississippi. They are here to help you at Mississippi Land Bank, MSLandBank.com. Good Monday afternoon. Glad to have you along. What a crazy night last night in Omaha at uh, the College World Series. The end of day two had plenty of drama. College World Series got started on Saturday with Michigan beating Texas Tech 5-3. to They uh, were just able to hold on. Michigan had the uh, the lead really the entire ballgame. Led 4 to nothing. It was then 4-2. to uh, Texas Tech cut it to 4-3 in the sixth inning. In the seventh inning, Michigan added a run. They were able to close it out and get a 5-3 to win in Game 1 of the College World Series. Game 2, Florida State and Arkansas, and it was a pitcher's duel, big time. Drew Parrish got the win. Cody Scroggins out of the bullpen took the loss for Arkansas. J.C. Flowers picked up the save, one to nothing. the final score. Both teams had five hits in the game, but Florida State got a run. In the uh, the top of the ninth inning, and they were able to hold on hold on for the one nothing win. So you move yesterday to day two of the College World Series, but it was the opening game uh, for the other four teams for the right side of the bracket. Vanderbilt got a three to one win over Louisville. Commodores on the first pitch of the ball game got a solo home run from Austin Martin. Louisville tied it up at one in the top of the fifth inning. Vanderbilt added two runs in the bottom of the seventh inning. A big day yesterday in addition to the home run for Austin Martin. Drake Fellows got the win, and uh, Tyler Brown out of the bullpen got the save for the Vanderbilt Commodores. And then you move to the nightcap yesterday. Game four, day two, it's the, uh, the final first-round game. It was Auburn and Mississippi State. Auburn jumped out to a 2 to nothing lead in the top of the second inning when Edouard Julien hit, uh, hit a home run. Uh, he added a, uh, an RBI single, I think it was, in the top of the fourth inning to make it 3 to nothing. Mississippi State got on the board in the bottom of the sixth inning. It was 3-1. to one. Auburn got an insurance run, or so they thought, in the top of the eighth inning to make it 4-1. to So Mississippi State goes to the bottom of the ninth inning 
trailing four to one. And that's when things got a little bit weird in uh, at TD Ameritrade. Um, Jake Mangum led the bottom of the ninth inning off with a double to right field. Auburn made a pitching change. Tanner Burns, who was the former ace of the staff and has battled arm uh, trouble throughout the season, comes in out of the bullpen. Auburn had gone uh, Jack Owen, and then they went to their closer, and then they turn it over to Tanner Burns. Burns comes in, he gets a strikeout of Jordan Westberg, so you've got a runner at second with one out. Tanner Allen walks. So now first and second with one out. A double to left field by Elijah McNamee scores Jake Mangum. It's now 4-2. to two. Justin Foscue grounds out to shortstop, but Tanner Allen comes home to score. That makes it 4-3, to three, but there are two outs in the inning. Dustin Skelton then hits a chopper to third. Edouard Julian fields it. He shuffles three times. It was like three hop steps. The runner uh, flashes right in front of him. Chooses not to try and make a tag, throws it across, and throws it away at first base. Rowdy Jordan, uh, I'm sorry, let's see, uh, Elijah McNamee ended up coming home to score, then a walk to Rowdy Jordan, then Josh Hatcher reaches on an infield single. Chopper off the glove of Tanner Allen, dropped at second base. Um, I'm sorry. Hatcher reached on an infield single to load the bases, and then it was Marshall Gilbert who had the chopper off the glove of Tanner Allen right back through the middle of the infield, dropped it second. Josh Hatcher came home to score four runs, four hits, and an error in the bottom of the ninth inning, and Mississippi State walks it off. The last two walk-off wins in the College World Series both belong to Mississippi State, 5-4. to four, The Bulldogs in the winner's bracket, and they will meet Vanderbilt tomorrow night. So that's what has happened so far in the College World Series. You've got a game going on right now. We'll get you up to date on that coming up in just a little bit. Borky, as it unfolded last night, what were you thinking? Uh, well, throughout the entire game, I thought it just wasn't Mississippi State's night. You know, Small was, was not bad, but wasn't very good either. He was getting squeezed somewhat, but uh, over 100 pitches after five innings was a little bit uncharacteristic of him, especially with the three free bases that he gave up. You just felt like it wasn't Mississippi State's night. They load the bases twice. Uh, the second time, a an absolute missile hit directly to the right fielder. It was just one of those that's baseball games. And then things kind of balanced out in the other direction. They get the, the key error. A little stroke of luck. But if you're going to make a deep postseason run or a deep championship run, Somewhere along the way, something bounced in your favor. You got some kind of stroke of luck. Ask the L.A. Rams and even Toronto, who's celebrating their NBA Finals championship today. They had injuries that kind of helped them along the way. Well, things like that kind of happen. A little lucky, but that happens sometimes in sports. And if you're going to make a deep run in the postseason, that has to happen for you. I think you're hard-pressed to find a team that's won a championship at any level who didn't have some breaks go their way along the way. I was talking with somebody earlier today, and so, so yeah, there was there was some luck or breaks or whatever you want to call it for Mississippi State in the bottom of the ninth inning. But the other part of that is you've got to put yourself in a position, and that was the 28th come-from-behind win this season for Mississippi State. So they don't panic when they're down late in ball games. It was, however, the first time in 11 games that Mississippi State has trailed going into the ninth inning. And has come back to one, uh, come back to win the ball game. So their comebacks have normally been earlier in the ball game. And Rippy, 
that I guess it's an old baseball cliche. Sometimes good things happen when you put the ball in play. Well, it kind of weirdly felt like a game where the like I don't want to say the right team won, but like Auburn only had six hits, State had twelve, State made three errors. Like you just kind of kept waiting for State to kind of like I guess take control of the game. Like the did the home run happen after an error? The the first home run. How did that guy get on base to where it made it two? Was that an error? No, it was. It was um... There were five straight strikeouts to start the ball game. So Ethan Small struck out the first five in the game, and then he gave up a two-out single, and okay. then Julian followed it up with a home run. I think it was Woley who got uh, on base right in front of Julian, and uh, and then he hit the two-run bomb. Yeah, then it got like I kept waiting for them to score, and then it kept getting later and later, and you're like, okay, they're actually they're actually in trouble. And then that ninth inning was just kind of baffling. Like State did, like they the the error was lucky. But, like, they did everything else right to make sure it hurt. Like, that was only one play. Like, McNamee still had to hit the double, which was a great at-bat. It was a really good at-bat. And, frankly... And Burns had nothing. He literally couldn't throw a breaking ball. Like, well, literally I don't think he did. I don't think he did. I think he only threw fastballs in yeah. the game. I, I was listening to Kyle Peterson. At one point, he goes, that's 20 straight fastballs with Marshall Gilbert coming to the plate. You're looking for a fastball here. And he got one over the plate that he was able to put in play. I would argue that even more so than McNamee's double, the fact that Jake Mangum gets a double to start the inning, 380th career hit, which moves him into fourth place all time in Division One baseball history, um, he, he just kind of gives you a spark once again and scores a run in the inning that makes you believe, okay, there's still a chance. If really... Mangum flies out to right to start the inning, nothing's happening. That's probably true as well. I don't uh, I don't hate the Burns move, but if you know he can't throw anything but a fastball, why are you letting him face more than like three batters? Aren't they eventually going to figure that out? That was kind of weird to me. Yeah. Um, but didn't he do enough, though? I mean, that's the thing. It's He, he, he got did, four straight ground balls on the infield. But like if it's 20-something straight the fastballs. Yeah, he did enough. Like It should have been over. Borky's got a point there, but like that's still a weird move. Yeah. We got a bunch to get to with you throughout the course of the show this afternoon. Uh, an entertaining U.S. Open, not a ton of drama yesterday in the final round, but overall, uh, golf course was pretty fair. Uh, it lended itself to uh, good scores to guys that were playing well. Gary Woodland is your U.S. Open champion. Brooks Kepka does not win. He still gets a nice paycheck, finishing second. A monster trade in the NBA, or at least a uh, an announced trade. I guess it can't become official until July 1st, but Anthony Davis is headed to Los Angeles. And, Borky, your New Orleans Pelicans are getting a bunch in return. Yeah, and word is that they are making a deal with Washington today to get Bradley Beal. So the haul that Ooh. they got yesterday Whoa. and that they're about to get potentially uh, is going to be massive. Yeah, no uh, no question. If uh, if they pull that off, maybe that speeds up the uh, the win window. Yeah, that's for, not a rebuild uh, anymore if you get Bradley Beal in there. Oh, they could win games next, like two years from now. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if anybody outside the top four, maybe the top five in college football, has an actual chance to win the title. We'll talk about that today during the college football fix. Winners and losers, 100 teams in 100 days, and a whole lot more. When we come back, Brian Haydad joins us from Omaha, where right now Texas Tech in the bottom of the seventh inning is leading 4-3 to three over Arkansas. Back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Perhaps Arkansas's best last opportunity coming up. 3-4-5, and five, the hitters to start the eighth inning for the Razorbacks, trailing by a run, 4-3, to three, to Texas Tech. This is day three of the College World Series, first elimination game. We've got a winner's bracket game tonight. 
with uh, Michigan and um, who's Michigan playing tonight? How did I forget that? Florida State. Thank you. Michigan and Florida State tonight. An elimination game tomorrow with Louisville and uh, Auburn, and then a winner's bracket game tomorrow night with Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. Joining us right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team from Omaha, Nebraska, Brian Haydad. What's up, my man? Hey, what's up, guys? Glad to be with you this rainy afternoon up here in Omaha. Yeah, not enough rain for them to uh, stop the ball game. It's a little overcast and some sprinkles in there. Uh, what a game last night. Wow. <laughs> That's, you know, there's really only so much you can say. Wow is sort of like the, the best descriptor. It was really tough after the game to write and do the podcast because that's one of those sporting moments where you just, you know, you saw it. I was right there, but it's it's difficult to recap it just because it was just one of the most unbelievable things I've ever really been a part of. Um, I guess a couple of random things. It was a little hard to tell, I thought, during the game, but when I watched some of the post-game highlights and some different camera angles, it looked like there was a pretty good Mississippi State crowd there last night. Any guess, any estimate at all as to how many Mississippi State fans were there? The only thing I would guess is that more than there were Auburn fans because as the, you know, prior to the game, they do some team-specific cheers and stuff. The state crowd was, was much louder. There was obviously a very good maroon and white contingent. I, I've sort of been saying all along, I think a lot of state fans are just going to try to wait for the weekend, regardless of what happens tomorrow night or, uh, or you know, win or lose. State's going to play again. You know, the earliest will be Thursday, but it could play again on Friday with a win. I think that's when you'll see a lot more MSU fans show up. But that said, there were a pretty good contingent of maroon and white last night. Hey, Dad, for... I would say 24 outs. I know Butch Thompson said eight and two-thirds uh, when it was all said and done, but I thought for eight innings, Auburn just outplayed Mississippi State. Um, you know, whether it was getting a double play when they needed to to get off the field or getting a big pitch or a big strikeout or the big hit in the game, it really felt like for the first eight innings of the game, Auburn just kind of deserved to win because they had outplayed Mississippi State and then the ninth inning happens. But before we get to the ninth inning, do you agree about the first eight innings, or did you kind of look at it differently being there on site? No, no, I agree with you 100%. Uh, State played really poorly in the first eight innings. They left the bases loaded twice. I think they were one for 11 or two for 12, something like that, with runners in scoring position. Stranded 11 runners. They had three errors in the game, including Foskey's error in the eighth inning, which I thought I was almost – 100% 100% positive State was going to end up losing the game 4-3 to three, uh, due to that error. So State just played really poorly. And then, you know, you look at Ethan Small, who was his first five batters, he struck them all out. And then yeah. you know, they get an infield single on a, on a tough play. And then the next thing you know, Julian launches one of the longest home runs I've ever seen that tied the, uh, the stadium record for the longest home run hit here. And from there on, Small, he just wasn't right. And he talked about it after the game. He said, this is something that might be concerning to MSU fans going forward. He talked about being tired and he wasn't sure about his stamina. And he just had to grind to get those five, to get the five innings. So, yes, you're absolutely right. State was being completely outplayed by Auburn, who, had, who was doing well with two out hitting. Their defense was making plays and their pitching was getting outs. And they, they, they were locked in and looked like they were ready to advance. 
Yeah, I wonder if Ethan Small saying that after the game was just kind of the emotion and maybe the adrenaline wearing off, or if that is something to be concerned about. Because my initial thought would be uh, Ethan Small dominant right out of the gate and then just kind of looked okay, just kind of average. You said had to grind through to get through five innings, throws over 100 pitches. I thought Auburn had a pretty good plan working against him you know, throughout the game, make him throw a bunch of pitches, make him walk some guys, earn your way on base, and then see what happens. But the flip side of that is I would think that Ethan Small would be chomping at the bit to get back on the mound and kind of pitch the way we've become accustomed to seeing him pitch. But what you said a second ago maybe makes you feel a little bit differently about that. And you could be right, too, about you know maybe it's just the uh, the after effect of such an emotional win, the amount of adrenaline that had to have been pumping, and then you know we get him 20, 25 minutes later in the locker room. Maybe he's just coming down from that. For sure. I thought his outing was very reminiscent of some of the outings we've seen from JT Ginn this year, where Ginn will just be move, moving along, moving along, no problems. And then when he faces the first you know, bit of adversity, it just gets away from him a little bit. You've seen that a few times. And that infield hit, for whatever reason, it just it just turned the game for Small. And he was just he just wasn't himself. He didn't look like the same pitcher we've seen all season long. He will obviously will get another start one way or the other uh, in this College World Series, so we'll see how he, uh, he looks when he takes the hill again. If Mississippi State plays on Friday, do you think they run Ethan Small back out on Friday for that game? No, I think they would try to hold him. Or not try to hold him. I think they would hold him for Saturday, though. I think they would feel good about J.T. again going on the Friday game with a chance to advance to the final. Uh, and then if you lose that game, you'd, you'd like to have Small in the, the position of the uh, the elimination game. Yeah. Um, let's go to the ninth inning. I, I, I kind of recapped it just right off the top of the show today because it really is kind of crazy the way the ninth inning unfolded. Um, I don't remember if it was Rippy or Borky that, that mentioned Dustin Skelton's hit. I'm sorry, Elijah McNamee's hit, the double that, that scored Mangum as being a huge hit in the inning, and it certainly was. But I thought Jake Mangum starting the inning off with the double off the base of the wall in right field had to be huge, like from a like a, a confidence and okay, maybe we can pull this off again. Just kind of an emotional lift for Mississippi State. Did they say anything about that after the game? Yeah, and, and talking to Mangum after the game, he said that even after his hit, he didn't really start to believe something was going to happen until Tanner Allen walked. But I agree with you that you know Mangum is is the spark of this team and the leader. For him to get on base was key in that situation. It's interesting, and I, I, if you listen to tomorrow's Thunder Lightning podcast, we talk about this. But you know, if you go back and watch that play, Mangum misses a home run by maybe two feet, three feet. I mean, it, it hits off the wall. And I can't help but think if that ball has gone over, and now it's four to two, is the inning any different? Because then you're not pitching to Tanner Allen with Mangum on second. You're not have to be as careful. It, it may sound sort of funny, but could it, missing a home run have been a positive for Mississippi State? I thought that was just an interesting angle. But for me, I agree with you. Mangum, Mangum getting on base set the table for everything else. It made them pitch carefully to Tanner Allen, and then you've got first and second for McNamee, and he just does what he does, which is get big hits in the postseason. And then it just sort of you know fell apart there for Auburn defensively. But those are the breaks of the game. State I had three errors in the game themselves, so it's not like you know, State was playing a stellar game defensively either. Um, and it just worked out that way for, for Mississippi State. So you get the double by McNamee to score Jake Mangum. That makes it 4-2. to two. And Tanner Allen gets to third on the play. Justin Foscue grounds out to the left side, but that allows Allen to come home to score. So at that point, it's 4-3 to three with Dustin Skelton coming to the plate. 
that play is the one that's being talked about over and over and over and over. He hits a chopper to third. Edward Julian fields it with no trouble. And the thing, and, and I think most people would tell you, yeah, probably the right play is to throw it to first. But it's also like you need a little bit of situational awareness there. If he takes two steps forward, which I think he had time to do, then worst case, he gets McNamee into a rundown. But more than likely, he's able to tag him out and the game's over. Yeah. And and that's just one of the things, you know, I didn't play baseball, but talking to some people who did, they all said the same thing that you just said. That the first thing, just, just throw the ball to first and get it over with. And McNamee, you know, I think he bothered him. And if you go back and watch it, uh, Julian triple pumps. He, he goes back to the glove a couple of times. He took three hops. Yeah, you're right. The throw right. Yeah. And, and and then he just, you know, airmails the throw. I think McNamee going in front of him, and I think what you just mentioned, the thought process of should I try to tag him, he just played with his own mind. If he had just fields the ball and just throws it, the game is probably over. But, he, but McNamee was able to throw him off a little bit. He, 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 he just basically, you know, he, he screwed up his own head. And that's what led for uh, to the tying run, uh, getting the score. I know Eduardo Perez on television has got a bunch of detractors. There are a lot of people that are not fans of him, but there are a few people who have spent as much time around the game of baseball as Eduardo Perez has in his life, going back to when he was a kid and growing up at the ballpark with his dad, uh, you know, playing Major League Baseball. He the, what the what he described about the the three steps that Julian took. He said, every time you take a step toward first base, you get a little bit higher. So, so basically, when you want to field it, you want to field it, stay low, throw all in one motion. That way, everything stays in rhythm. But with each hop that he took, he got a little bit taller and a little bit taller, and that kind of opens things up mechanically for you to be more likely not to throw online. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I'll defer to uh, uh, Eduardo Perez on uh, on that one. Um, but it certainly worked out for Mississippi State. That allowed the tying run to come home to score, and then ultimately Marshall Gilbert gets the infield single to score J- Dustin Skelton and uh, and win the ball game. Got a good one going on right now in Omaha. 4-3, to three, Texas Tech leading it over Arkansas. Razorbacks have runners at the corners with one out, trying to tie it, possibly even take the lead over the Red Raiders. We'll continue with Brian Haydad from Omaha. Mississippi State has announced a starting pitcher for tomorrow. You probably know that by now. We'll talk a little bit about it when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. I get home. Nine pitch at bat for Jack Kinley with runners at the corners and one out. He flips one out into fairly, just kind of medium depth in left field with Dominic Fletcher at third base. Fletcher tagging on the play. A good throw, and it's really close at the plate. The throw was way offline, and Arkansas has tied the game at four with Texas Tech in the top of the eighth inning. It's been a fun game to uh, to watch. It was a fun game to watch last night, I think. Maybe it wasn't great television. Maybe it was just fun to watch in the ninth inning if you were a Mississippi State fan. Because, hey, Dad, I would guess, Brian Haydad, by the way, on the Farm Bureau phone line from Omaha, I would guess there are a lot of Mississippi State fans that were really frustrated with the way that game unfolded, and probably some that turned the television off and said, you know what, I don't want to watch us lose. I won't, I won't give away a name, but I have a group text with a core group of friends of mine, and when I woke up this morning, his first reply was, we won? Because he had done exactly that. He had gone to bed and said, not going to happen tonight. And, and there were probably a lot, you know, reading message boards, 
people interacting with me on social media, you're right, a lot of frustration in those first eight innings because they had opportunities. They left the bases loaded twice, and they just could not get the clutch hit. Going into the ninth innings, they had eight hits, but they were all singles. And that is not at all what we've seen from this Mississippi State team this year that has racked up extra base hits. I don't know if it was the approach or just the fact that Auburn was pitching well. Don't know, but State was just not itself until the ninth inning last night. So, yeah, a lot of frustration, but that turned into a lot of jubilation there at the end. Some of these notes are things that you may have read that uh, Brian Haydad wrote about or talked about late last night or early this morning. Uh, but let's run through some notes from the uh, the game last night. Mississippi State with four runs in the ninth inning. In the ninth inning, they were three for six with runners in scoring position, went two for 12 with runners in scoring position through the first eight innings of the ball game. It was the 28th come-from-behind win this year for Mississippi State, which is the most in college baseball. First time this season, though, in 11 games, when trailing entering the ninth, that Mississippi State has come back to win. So you, you look at the come-from-behind wins, that's trailing at any point in the ball game, and Mississippi State has come from behind more times than anybody else. But it's still a tall hill to climb when you're down three runs in the ninth inning. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I thought a couple of things that, that struck me in this game: the decision to bring Cole Gordon in in the uh, in the top of the ninth. You know, normally Gordon is your closer; he'll come in. You know, in the game, is State's got the lead or got the uh, at least tied. I don't know that he's come in this year with State behind like that, and for him to come in and, and you know. Really shut the door in the ninth. He gave up a single, but he struck out the side. I thought that was that was sort of a key, and it was, it was surprising to see Gordon out there. And I don't. I think that may have just been like a, a confidence move. Like, look, we're going to win this. Lamont is trying to tell him we're going to win this game, but we need Cole Gordon out here just to make sure that nothing else happens to us in the ninth. So maybe that's how that played out. I don't know, but State's bullpen well, was really and, a key, really a big key for me yesterday. Yeah. And, and hey, Dad, can't you make that move because you don't play tomorrow? You you know you've got a day off, yeah. and so. Even if you lose the game, you don't feel like you're burning your closer and losing the opportunity to use him the next day by pitching him in a game where you've got a three-run deficit. Right, and State State was very good with his bullpen. I thought Riley Self in coming in, he came in in relief of small, and I think he only threw ten pitches, got an easy one, two, three inning, and you know, State needed that because with small going out, you know that's the thought of oh, well, now what's going to happen for him? And Riley Self to come out there and look like his, you know, no pun intended, old self was very key for Mississippi State. Lee Belt was good in relief. He was betrayed by his defense for that one run that he gave up. And like I mentioned, Cole Gordon. So State's bullpen was good. And like you said, even with even if they had had to play again today, they didn't really burn through anybody. Nobody threw a ton of pitches. I think even Lee Belt could come back today if he wanted. But you'll definitely see all of those pitchers again on Tuesday if they need them. Um, and then just, yeah, just to keep the game close, 4-1 to one going into the ninth was, was very important. But I thought State's bullpen played a, maybe a, an underrated role yesterday. In the last four College World Series, there have been two walk-off wins. Both of those belong to Mississippi State. They walked it off against Washington uh, two years ago and then uh, got the walk-off winner last night. Mississippi State wins its College World Series opener for the third consecutive trip. They started 3-0 and in 2013 before losing to UCLA in the championship series. Started 2-0 and last year uh, before losing that game to Oregon State. Uh, Marshall Gilbert's walk-off winner in the ninth inning was his first hit in uh, in the ball game. He was 0 for 4 prior to that at bat. Jake Mangum, who got the double to start the ninth inning rally, picked up career hit number 380, and in doing so, he moved past John Fischel or Fischel, I'm not sure how you say it, from Cal State Fullerton into number four on the all-time hits list. The leader. 
Phil Stevenson from Wichita State with 418 hits. Khalil Green at Clemson in four years had 403 hits. Steve Stanley had 385 hits. And now you've got Jake Mangum sitting on 380. Not crazy to think that he could move into the number three all-time hit slot with uh, the next couple of games there in Omaha. Yeah, obviously, to depend on the results, but if he can get you know, three, four more games, he'll have a, a great opportunity to, to finish you know, right there. That's, 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 you know, when you think about all-time hitters, man, it's, it's funny with college baseball. If they said, who are the best hitters in college baseball history? I don't know that Phil Stevenson and Khalil Green are the first guys you think of, to be totally honest. But, you know, there's obviously very elite company, and Mangum is going to be a part of that. Yeah. With Ethan Small's eight strikeouts in five innings of work, even though that was uh, tied for the shortest outing of the season for him, he got to 176 strikeouts on the year. That breaks the Mississippi State single-season strikeout record that was previously held by Eric DuBose. He had 174 strikeouts in 1996, and it moves Ethan Small to number five on the all-time SEC list. He trails uh, Derek Lilliquist from Georgia, John Powell from Auburn, David Price from Vanderbilt in 2007, he struck out 194, and the all-time record belongs to Ben McDonald. 1989, 202 strikeouts for Ben McDonald. Uh, so that's just a few of the notes. Mississippi State and Vanderbilt meeting on uh, Tuesday night. So tomorrow night, 6 o'clock Central Time, and Auburn playing Louisville in an elimination game tomorrow. First pitch at 1 o'clock local time in Omaha. What have we missed? What what stands out from last night that we've not talked about to this point? I think it's just reflective of what we've been talking about with Mississippi State all season long and that they don't really get caught up in what the other team is doing. They really do think that when they, they play their best, they're going to win. And they didn't play their best for at all last night. And they still were able to find a way to win. And, and I don't want to play too much into the sports movie cliche of the team of destiny. And, the, and you know, the team does keep talking about unfinished business and this, that, or the other. But, you know, Richard, you've called enough games and watched enough sports to know that when you, when you have a win like that, it can spark a lot. It can spark a lot of momentum going forward. So, you know, obviously a huge challenge on Tuesday with, with Vanderbilt, with Kumar Rocker taking the mound uh, for the Commodores. But, if State can win that game, they become, in my opinion, they become the odds-on favorite to win the whole thing. George from West Point on the C Spire text line. You can text the show, 601-879-4395. He says, through it all, I knew they were playing as the home team, and they were wearing black uniforms. However, I was starting to wonder when the ninth inning started. Uh, so still undefeated in uh, those uniforms. That's right. As Jake, Ma- Jake Mangum said, magic. They're just magic. The, the uniforms are magic? That's what he says. Who am I to argue? Maybe it's the uh, team that's wearing the uniforms, just saying. But, you know, baseball superstition I, 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 and whatnot. I don't whatnot. disagree with you on that either, but, but they, 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 they like wearing those uniforms, and it really does something for them. It, it gives them an extra, you know, level of motivation. However it works, I don't know. You know, it's not what they say. It's not, it's not crazy if it works. It's working for Mississippi State right now. Yeah, we'll talk in the uh, 5 o'clock hour when we visit again with you, Hey Dad, more about uh, the matchup tomorrow night with Vanderbilt. Uh, pretty incredible stage for two teams that have played some big games over the last couple of seasons, including the Super Regional that was epic in Nashville last year that uh, ultimately got Mississippi State to the um, to the College World Series. But one thing worth noting, you and other media people talked with Chris Lamonis earlier today Peyton Plumley gets the start. I feel like there's not a ton of surprise, 
but it does feel like it's still a story because he's not the number two starter on this team. JT Ginn's the number two starter, but for whatever reason, Chris Lamonis, Mississippi State, feel like they get a better shot uh, to win the game with Peyton Plumley on the mound. Well, I mean, you say he's not the number two starter, but for the past month and a half, he's been the he's been the second best pitcher on this in this rotation. You know, Ginn has just been inconsistent as he's just battled maybe some freshman uh, issues, maybe some uh, some obviously some injury issues. Uh, but Plumlee has just been really, really consistent. And I like the matchup against Vanderbilt because he's the guy who keeps the ball down. And against that Vanderbilt lineup, it's full of power hitters. That's what you're going to have to do to avoid seeing it go over the wall. So I think it's a good matchup for Mississippi State. Uh, and we'll see, we'll see where it takes us, obviously. But I think that, you know, Plum, I think State has a lot of confidence in Plumlee to pitch well and to pitch deep into the game. And, and part of the equation is that Vanderbilt offense. But the other part of the equation is Kumar Rocker, who the last time. We saw him on the mound. 19 strikeouts, complete game, no hitter. Yeah, he wasn't bad. <laughs> wasn't bad. Yeah. But, no. You know, with Rocker, no. it's sort of interesting. When you look at him for the season, you know, he's not that, he's not as dominant as he was in that game. I wonder if we're just putting – I mean, it's, it's a great game, don't get me wrong, but are we putting too much on that one game? I guess we'll find out tomorrow night. Uh, I think you said it before, though, pretty good all season long. All right, hey, Dad, we'll catch up with you in the 5 o'clock hour. Talk to you then. Brian, hey, Dad. Hope you had a good Father's Day. Father's Day weekend, and especially a good Father's Day yesterday, if you're a dad or if you have served in the dad role for uh, for some kids, whether you're an uncle or a grandfather or just a good friend who stepped in and kind of filled that role for a kid who needed it. Thanks for doing that. And uh, dads, dads make a difference. Uh, hope you had a great day uh, relaxing yesterday or maybe watching some golf or maybe watching some baseball or playing golf or grilling out, whatever it is that you did to hang out and spend some time this weekend. Hope it was a, uh, a good one. Borky, you're, you're, you're like half Father's Day yesterday. I mean, technically you don't have a child that you are holding in your arms yet but child's on the way, so you 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 kind of halfway got to celebrate Father's Day yesterday, right? Yeah, and my wife did, did a bunch of stuff, made it special for me. She even got me a fish for my home office. So a fish? <laughs> yeah, betta fish. I, I like uh, I like betta fish. I think they're cool. So she get got the, me one to put in my home office. Get the sec, like get a second one, and then they'll fight. No, oh, but they'll both they'll kill each other. It's like stepbrothers where they're swinging the golf clubs and they both hit each other in the head at the same time and they fall. That's what would happen with the fish, too. There wouldn't be one that would prevail. They would just hurt each other so much that they would both, you know. I think Rippy's altogether okay with that idea. Yeah, but I'm not. I've got an office fish now. I've got a little mascot for me when I do my work at home. How often do you have to feed your betta fish? A couple times a day. They're really low-key. ready for that much responsibility? (laughs) I've already got two dogs and a cat and a kid on the way. I might as well just add one more thing to it. Uh, That was kind of my point. I mean, you're you're, you're putting a lot on your plate all of a sudden. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Yeah. Fish for a little while. We had a babysitter that gave my kids a fish. He made it for a while. They're pretty cool. They breathe air. But you didn't know that. My younger brother had like a gerbil. Like after a year of that, my mom was like, we left the door open on accident. Got out. Set it free. Set the gerbil free. Yeah. Like just into the wild blue yonder. Yes. Wonder how that went for the old gerbil. 
Um, I don't Probably know. a hawk or a snake nearby that took care of that. It went great for my mom. She didn't have to clean the cage anymore. Yeah. Did she toy with the idea of assigning that responsibility to your brother? He's like, he had to be like five or six at the time, so that would have probably ended poorly. Yeah. Then the gerbil would have been loose in the house as opposed to loose. That happened once or twice as is. Tough scene. <laughs> for who? Everyone in the house wondering when this thing was going to pop out from like a piece of tiling or like a cabinet. I don't know. Well, but I mean, at least you knew there was a gerbil loose in the house, so. Yeah, you didn't know where it was, though. I mean, was it going to scare you if it popped out? I don't know, man. It's a rat running around your house. Yeah. Bit of a rodent. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi with uh, you. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and all that goes with it for over 100 years. Top of the ninth inning, Arkansas, first and second, nobody out. Trevor Ezell just dumped one. Uh, well, I guess Ezell's at second. Christian Franklin just dumped one into right field. So Arkansas has got the tying run at second, the go-ahead run at first, trailing by a run in the ninth inning. This is two good baseball teams that do not want to go home at all. And they are scrapping and fighting uh, late in the ballgame. It's Monday. It's just after 4 o'clock. That means it is time for winners and losers. All I do is win. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Winner never win. And a winner never quit. All right, winners and losers from the weekend. I just got a note about this. I'm not sure that I was um, supposed to share it on the air, but I think I can do that. Uh, Our good friend Jim Gallagher Jr., who has been a regular contributor on this show and works at the Golf Channel and former professional golfer, has a new grandson. William James Hardman was born at 104. I guess that's today. 7 pounds, 11 ounces, everybody's doing great, and Jim is now a grandfather, So, or at least a grandfather to a uh, to a baby boy. I'm not sure if that's first grandson or not. So congratulations to uh, the entire Gallagher family. Uh and and the Hardman family as well. Uh winners and losers for the weekend. Borky, you can go first. Yeah, and I'll start with even though he didn't win the thing, Brooks Kepka. I mean, the run of US Opens for that guy. And, and Gary Woodland's also a winner. I didn't realize, I didn't know much about him. Until you read about him, how good of a guy he is off the course. So it's great that somebody like him wins. But in the last three U.S. Opens, one player has beaten Brooks Kepka. It's an incredible run. One of the better runs in golf history in one major in consecutive years. So even though he didn't win the thing, first, first, second in three consecutive U.S. Opens is really impressive. Still a pretty good paycheck, too. Yeah, I think he'll take it. You could really extend that to make this run in the last 10 major championships. Pretty much, too. yeah. I mean, it's so hard. What he's doing is so hard to do repeatedly, and he's doing it in every single major. 
I don't know at what point do you get like I'm not comparing him to Tiger Woods, but that level of contention and great play for that long a time, like what do you, I mean, does it have to get to fifteen or twenty before you kind of start putting it in the similar stratosphere? Yeah. Well, let's say he gets a top five think? at the British, even though they don't call it that. Let's say he gets a top five at St Andrews. Where do you put that run? I think you have to wait till it ends. What if he does it again next year? Yeah, good point. Oh, I got two off the wall ones. Okay. One was Joel Klatt. He was really solid on that coverage. I think one of y'all mentioned it last week, but even in those canned interviews after a round where they're sitting down, they're like, oh, how are you going to sleep on the lead? I'll eat a good meal, wake up, get a workout in, and go to the range. That's very profound. Thank you. He even got, like, Justin Rose to show emotion and stuff. Like, Justin Rose did not seem like a wet paper bag. Is that the right term? Whatever. You know, you get what I mean. Sure. Um, I personality of a wet paper bag. Yeah, wet blanket. That's what I'm. Yeah, wet blanket. Thank you. Um, but I can't imagine that a wet paper bag would have all that much personality. Well, wet paper bag is is like he's so weak he couldn't hit his way out of a wet paper bag. Okay. Um. So he was really good. And then the other one is the internet because OJ Simpson has joined Twitter and it is quite the fuss. Have you seen this? Did Did he do it just to defend himself? I don't know. Um, because he announced one, yesterday he wasn't Khloe Kardashian's father. So right on Father's Day. Yeah. So if there's one element to add to the cesspool that is Twitter to make itself combust and go away forever, it is Orenthal James Simpson, and I'm here for it. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. Uh, I mentioned Father's Day a second ago. I, I'll go uh, my kids. I had a pretty special day yesterday. Um, started uh, started fairly early. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll share the story of how I was woken up yesterday. It was about six thirty, and Jane comes comes over. She she kind of nudges. She's like, "Hey, I need your help with something." It's like, uh, "Okay, what have you got?" She's like, "I'm really sorry to ask for this. By the way, Happy Father's Day. Um, we need to take care of Chloe because Chloe, when when she doesn't get groomed often enough, sometimes has trouble um, getting stuff stuck in the hair." In her nether regions. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, hey, I need you to wake up and help take care of this real quick. Oh, okay. So after we got past that, I'm awake. I get dressed, take a shower, and kind of go out and sit before we start getting ready for church. And uh, all three kids come pile up in my lap. We just sit there. I I don't know if we were watching cartoons or replay of the College World Series or golf was on, whatever it was. But, I mean, just a lap full of happiness to, to start Sunday morning. Uh, it's not lost on me how fortunate I am that I've got three uh, healthy kids, and uh, certainly thankful for that. And uh, pretty cool day. So, so I got to be a winner as a uh, a result of that, and fun day all the way around. Hey, I did uh, Obi, uh, Obi Borky. Uh, Obi was kind of the point yesterday afternoon where he needed to get out of the house. Like kids start to go stir crazy after a little while, um, and we'd kind of shut down the TV and the electronics. So we went outside and. Put a target up, shot BB gun for a while, and I said, "Hey, you want to learn to drive?" Oh yeah. He kind of looked at me funny. I was like, "Yeah." So we like jumped in. We were out at the lake and jumped in the side by side out there. I was like, "All right, take off." He's like, "Wait, how do I do it?" I said, "Put your foot on the brake, crank it, no problem." We get it shifted into gear. His first instinct is to step on the gas, and so we go in reverse, like super. <laughs> I was like, whoa, 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 "Whoa, hold on, let's just ease onto the gas." So uh, we passed one car kind of on the road, and I helped with the steering wheel. Aside from that, my man goes on about a four-mile ride. Nice. No help. I was super proud of him. And I think uh, he had a little bit of a jealous big sister for not getting the opportunity. 
but she was in the process of making me a chocolate cake for Father's Day, so uh, all, all went well. Sorry, a little self-indulgence there. bunch of winners from me. Uh, we'll we can do circle losers back next. to losers. Yeah, we can do losers next. Are you going to have the Lakers as losers? No, actually. I think both teams kind of got what they needed there. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. So Arkansas had first and second, nobody out, and got nothing out of it. A pop-up on the infield, a couple of quicks outs, quick outs, and Arkansas goes two and Q at the College World Series. They were tied with Vanderbilt for the best odds to win the College World Series this year. Um, all right, so question for you. For Arkansas, which is the better way to go out in Omaha? This is not even a question. Losing your first two, going two and out, or being one out away from winning a national championship, misplaying a fly ball, losing that game and losing the next game. Which would you rather? This. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I will, I couldn't even like. I couldn't even make it. Like, if one of y'all can, please share. But like, I couldn't. I don't think I could make an argument for the other side. Borky. Yeah, I tend to agree. If I, if I'm going to lose, I'd rather not lose when I had the jaws of victory or I had victory in my jaws and let it go. I butchered that, but you get my point. I would rather not have my heart broken. I'd rather just get the brakes beat off of me and know that hey, I reached my peak. I couldn't have gone any further than this. Hmm. You know what I think we need to do? I think winners and losers has really become a thing. And I think we need to do our winners and losers in the first segment of the 4 o'clock hour every Monday. And then I think we need to open it up for a little audience participation. Some people have started to send us their winners and losers from the weekend. Uh, I think we need a, a little audience participation. Like that. So we'll open it up for listener winners and losers as well. So if you got something like this, you can pass it along. Kevin, guys, my winner. Grandson's only been playing baseball for three years, picked up a baseball three years ago. He's 12. Made the Senatobia All-Star team. They won first place in the tournament in his first tournament ever. So proud of that grand boy. He works hard. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate you sharing that. I like it. Uh, message comes here. The way that Arkansas just went out is 10,000. Oh, he says 100,000 times better than uh, than what happened a year ago. I, I guess. But, I mean, that's also like saying that you'd rather go two and out. Oh, good year. We got to Omaha, lost two games, and went to the house, then make it to the championship series. Both result in the same trophy case. They do, but Mississippi State's got a lot of mileage out of played in the championship series in 2013. Has gotten. Not has got. Has gotten a lot of mileage out of that. But it's the it's the trauma. It's not getting there. It's the trauma of the way it ended. If Arkansas had lost in two games or even in three games and it hadn't happened that way, then it's a different argument. Yeah. Yeah, if they got beat 5-1 to one in game three, it's all good. But dropping the out that sealed the game. I mean, no, that was game two. Oh, that was game two. What am I that talking about? That was to win it all. Yeah. They were already up a game. You they squeeze the fly ball. They win. Yeah, but point still stands. I'd rather, you know, it, it. it's about the heartbreak, not about getting there. Yeah. 
State hasn't lost the way Arkansas did last year. I agree with Rippy. That on the C Spire text line. Like, what's the only way to get closer? To, like, have it out overturned on review? Boy, that would be nuts. But that's literally the only other thing you can do. You like, literally... you score the winning run at the plate, they go back and review it, take the run off the board, call it an out instead, and then you give up a ding-dong or, in the bottom half of the next inning? Sure. Or I was literally thinking, like, in Arkansas's case, at that fly ball, like, it's a ground ball to short, it's close play, he's called out, they win the national championship, it's challenged, he's safe, they lose. Yeah. Like, that's literally the only way to get closer. Yeah. Um... Philip in Starkville says you get a runner-up trophy if you get to the championship series. You don't if you're the first six going home. Thank you, well, actually, guy, but I feel like my point still stands. <laughs> Thanks, Philip. Snuffy, uh, who is clearly a Mississippi State fan, says my winner is Auburn's third baseman. <laughs> I, I, one of my losers, by the way, and you may disagree with me on this, and generally speaking, baseball is a slow game, and I appreciate when the guys doing the broadcast tell stories, laugh a little bit, hey, maybe some off-topic stuff if the game's kind of in a lull. I get that, and I enjoy that, because I think baseball as a sport, with all of its downtime, needs that. But bringing up Gus Malzahn and Bruce Pearl into the booth, not even referencing what's going on on the field, having them being the bigger image on television instead of the actual play during a national championship playoff game is what it is. It's the Elite Eight, right? Doing that in that time pissed me off so bad because you gave a free infomercial to Bruce Pearl, who's got a coach going to prison, during the national championship playoff Elite Eight, whatever you want to call it, but that's what it is. They would The never College t- World Series, I think, is what it's actually I know, called. but to put it in perspective of what it actually is, That's the national championship going on. You would never have Brad Stevens in the booth if the Red Sox were playing in the ALCS. So why do you have Bruce Pearl up in the booth when Auburn is playing in the national championship playoff? I've got Jordan Spieth as a loser. Started chirping at his caddy pretty hard. Like, is Mikey Greller the new Ted Scott? Like, as much flack as Bubba Watson catches... Spieth kind of freaks out on his caddy a lot. Tough scene there. Did Greller go back at him? I don't or did know. He just wear it. I didn't see that part of the exchange, but it was basically like two perfect shots, one in the water, one long or something. I don't know. Like, mm. Spieth made Greller a lot of money. Oh yeah, but there's also a very like there aren't very many caddy relationships, like player caddy, where you have to like rein the guy in as much as Greller does. Like he does a lot. Sure. And I like Spieth, but like. That's never like yelling at the caddy guy is really a great look. It's a good point. Uh, Richard and Wiggins loser. No doggone NASCAR race on Father's Day. Winner for me. U.S. Open on the West Coast. I know there are a bunch of great call, uh, golf courses on the East Coast, in the Southeast, specifically in the Northeast, and it's not like you're going to exclusively play them on the West Coast. But my goodness, West Coast golf is good in the middle of the summer, when the leaders go off at 4.30 Central Time. You're crowning a winner at 9.30 Central Time, 7.30 on the West Coast. So maybe maybe what it is is I just like golf when it's a little bit different than what we get on a week-in, week-out basis, where it ends at 6 o'clock and you hear Jim Nance telling you that your local news is next except on the West Coast. Or 60 Minutes is next, except on the West Coast. I want something a little bit different than that. 
I love the Open Championship where if you are so inclined, you can wake up at 3 in the morning or 2.30 in the morning and watch the opening shots. And I love when you get the U.S. Open on the West Coast so you can go to sleep watching golf. So uh, both of those time slots are uh, are winners for me. Primetime is the best time, man, because like even Sunday, which you don't really have a whole lot going on on Sunday. You go to church, go to eat, and then just hang out. At least that's been my life for the last couple of years. No matter what I'm doing, when it hits like 6, 30, 7 o'clock, I'm done. That, that's where I'm just laying around doing nothing. For major championships or even the NFL, I have to stop what I'm doing in order to watch it. When it's on primetime, you you're already there. So you don't feel like you're missing something or, or getting behind on like yard work or whatever. It's a very dad comment, but it's true. I got another loser, and this pains me. Uh, Poulter. Ian Poulter. Had a whiff and a couple chunks on his way to an eight. Who? That's uh that's that's never good. Uh Alex in Starkville says winner Mike Martin interviews. I had to say Mike Martin, period. Guy's seventy five years old, he's won forty games in forty consecutive years, and he's got Florida State in the driver's seat. Florida State against Michigan. The winner moves to Friday and is one win away from the championship series of the College World Series and playing for a national championship. Stephen Purvis, his loser, the announcer that said last night the pop fly behind first was foul because the player was in foul territory when he touched the ball and then went on to say it's where the player is, not where the ball is. Uh, That's dumb. Losers, commentators giving Tiger excuses when they realize he has KT tape on his neck. What's KT tape? It's that it's concealed pretty well, but it's that that long tape that you see on some players' arms or knees or something. It's like a oh uh, yeah. Uh, but he shot his best Sunday U.S. Open round in a decade. Shot a sixty-nine yesterday, right? Very on brand. But yeah, two under his best his best U.S. Open round in a decade was yesterday, yeah. Sunday U.S. Open round. It was good enough to uh, have him finish ten shots back. Where did he finish? Was he even par for the championship? Or did he finish under par? They call that level par when you go across the pond. Oh, thank you. The uh, Like the first nine and the second nine, as opposed to the front and the back? That's right. Which actually probably makes more sense. He finished tied 21, and he was 11 shots back. There you go. So, T21, Tiger Woods, two under for the championship. Good for him, $117,598. That'll power his yacht for three hours. So that, that might not pay for the airplane ride home from California to Florida. So Arkansas is the first team eliminated from the College World Series. They lost one to nothing to Florida State and 5-4 to Texas A&M. The Aggies survive and will meet the loser of tonight's game between Florida State and Michigan. They will have to win that game, and then they would have to beat the winner of that game two times to advance to the College World Series final. Same scenario will play out tomorrow. Uh, Louisville and Auburn will meet in an elimination game. Vanderbilt and Mississippi State tomorrow night in a winner's bracket game. The uh, It's a long road. If you lose your first game, 
in the College World Series, you're back against the wall and you've got to win four in a row before you can kind of press the reset button and you got just a little bit of breathing room again. It's really the first two also. Like, winning one before you lose is a little bit easier, like, because it's like one less game, I guess. Yeah. But, like, you got to go 2 and 0 to really be in the driver's seat. No, no question about that. And if you want to be in the best spot to have your rotation set and maximum rest and all that, you go 3 and 0. Um, but you do see teams overcome a loss in the College World Series and get all the way to a national championship. Oregon State would be the example from last year. Yeah, absolutely. It's that whole setup though of having to beat the same team twice in a row for the winners bracket. That's the real kicker. Yeah. No, uh, you're no no question about that. Certainly is uh, difficult to do. Sports Talk Mississippi, the C Spire text line is open to you this afternoon, 601-879-4395. Got a bunch coming up this week. On uh, on Friday, the entire Super Talk Mississippi crew will be in West Point at uh, Mossy Oak Golf Course. Mossy Oak Golf Course is one of the best courses in the entire country you can plan an amazing golf getaway just by going to mossyoakgolf.com. The whole Super Talk family at the Mossy Oak Golf Course in West Point on Friday. And then on Saturday, Garden Mama will be live at the Tupelo Farmers Depot from 8 until 10. Tupelo Farmers Depot has locally grown vegetables, fruit, honey, flowers, and more. Be sure to stop by this Saturday, 415 South Spring Street in downtown Tupelo. So... Chris Lamonis met with the media earlier today and kind of laid out. They, they had a practice, I think it was at 11 o'clock this morning. Maybe it was at lunchtime. So they practiced, and then after practice, talked with the media a little bit. Going to let you hear some of what Chris Lamonis had to say. Uh, a couple of minutes worth. Uh, talks about why he's pitching Peyton, Peyton Plumley. Uh, if there's anything that they can take away from previous meetings or the previous meeting they had with uh, Vanderbilt, lineup that he's going to roll out there, and a little bit more. So this was Chris Lamonis earlier today in Omaha. He's the best matchup for us in this game. What about that matchup do you like? He's just been good against left-handers, and they got six out of nine left-handers in their lineup. So, um, you know, he's pitched that. It reminds me a little bit of that Miami lineup that we faced. Probably a little bit, you know, it's hard to say better because that Miami lineup was really good. But they've swung it well. But he's just, uh, when he's good, he's got that sinking fastball. and. Because uh, it gives us a chance to make a lot of plays. How much do you take from that Vanderbilt game of the SEC tournament? Obviously, it was coming up to 17 anyone, but what? I, I think it's really crazy to take a lot off that game because it was two different starters, and those starters were really good. There wasn't a lot to that game. You know, we not a lot of offense for us, not a lot, a lot of offense for them. Um, you know, we've played them a lot. You know, our guys played them last year. Um, we're very familiar with each other. I just think it's a it's a brand new game. How these two arms run out there and pitch will be the key. Speaking of not a lot of offense, there wasn't a lot in the first eight innings last night. What do you guys got to do to sort of get it rolling earlier tomorrow? I think we got to slow it down. We had some good at bats. We just said we weren't good with runners in scoring position. And we had a, I thought Rowdy had a good swing early in the game with two outs. And I thought Jordan Westberg's ball, we couldn't hit that ball any better. So we had a little tough luck, but we also had some bad at bats in those situations. So uh, for us, we need to slow it down and control the strikes on offense. Chris, what do you remember of that Vanderbilt series last year in that Super Regional? I, I think you mentioned before that you were watching it. And a pretty exciting series for three games. What, what do you what did you kind of take away from that? Never die from both teams. I mean, both teams just played so hard. And nobody plays perfect. I mean, there's mistakes being made. But um, both teams competed at a really high level. And I think that's what you'll see tomorrow night. 
you mentioned the lineup kind of settling in and controlling the, the strike zone. Do, do you think the ninth inning going the, the way it did and the quality of that bat kind of settled them into their usual approach? Well, I hope so. I mean, I hope that's the biggest piece. I mean, you know, if you learn anything, um, you know, some of the bigger at-bats, we all talk about Marshall's at-bat, but Tanner Allen gets that big walk. Um, Josh Hatcher fights with two strikes and gets a chop ball, just putting the ball into play. And then uh, we had some really good at-bats, too. You know, Mack gets ahead 2-0 and gets a hit. Um, Jake gets us his first pitch hit like he always does. But um, I'm hoping that momentum plays into to the week and gets that, lets us relax now and play good baseball. That was Chris Lamonis earlier today, and he started out by talking about Peyton Plumley and says that he's a better matchup, that uh, he's been really good against left-handed hitters. Vanderbilt's got six left-handed hitters in the lineup. Now, I don't know what Vanderbilt's splits are against left-handed pitchers versus right-handed pitchers, but when you swing it as well as a team as Vanderbilt does, similar to Mississippi State, your batting average is going to be pretty good against both sides, You know, whether you're facing a right-handed pitcher or a left-handed pitcher. There's some teams that you can look at their splits. Let's say they hit 275 to 285. And there's a good chance that they're going to hit a good bit better against either right-handers or left-handers. But when you've got a team that's hitting in the neighborhood of 315, you're probably going to have batting averages that are pretty close regardless of right-handed pitcher or left-handed pitcher. But if you, as a coach, feel better about your guy throwing against hitters predominantly from one side of the plate or the other, then it certainly makes sense. Um you heard Brian Haydad say earlier today that uh, that for the last six weeks of the season, Peyton Plumley has just been better and he's been more consistent than JT Ginn. Although he also said there's no hesitation, you've got JT Ginn throwing Game Three and you feel great about that, which in some ways kind of feels like you're you're kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth on that. And J- JT Ginn is arguably the most talented pitcher on the roster for Mississippi State. But for the last month and a half of the season, he hasn't been able to get deep into games, and he doesn't appear to be the same pitcher, maybe from a confidence standpoint, that he was for the first two months of the season. So I think it'll be interesting to see. And given what, it was a one nothing game when Mississippi State and Vanderbilt met last time? Is that right? Yeah, it was one nothing. Really good baseball game. You look puzzled, like a smell you don't. No, know no, about. I was no. I'm, I'm with you. I was thinking about the long game, but that was against LSU, and then Mississippi State followed it up with the game against Vanderbilt. Right? Is that right, Borky? Yes, that's right. They played LSU in the long game, and then came back and played the one nothing game where they lost against Vanderbilt. Heck of a pitcher's duel. How do you feel about Kumar Rocker? I mean, the last time we saw him, he was the best he's ever been on a baseball diamond. 19 strikeouts, no hitter, complete game, 120 or so pitches. And now he's had some time off. I mean, that was on... That was Saturday a week ago. So, if ever there was going to be a little bit of a layoff, probably coming off an adrenaline emotion-filled game like that, where you may have gone a little bit deeper than you normally would, it would be the right time to get nine days off, I would think, between starts. You guys like the matchup for Mississippi State offensively against Kumar Rocker? You think it's a terrible well, what's matchup? What's he like? So he had this amazing game, you know, 
just last weekend, but is that, uh, of course, that kind of game, nobody ever expects that, but is he has he been a guy all year that is capable of having an outing of that caliber, is what I'm asking. He, he's gotten yes. better as the season has gone along. He's gone from the number three starter to the number two starter, and they weren't going to move him to the number one spot in the lineup, period, because Tim Corbin loves having his dude, and Drake Fellows is his guy. But Kumar Rocker has made 17 appearances, 14 starts. <coughs> Excuse me. He's 10-5 and five with a 3.5 ERA, 97 strikeouts, and 87 innings. Three unearned runs or less in seven of his last eight outings. So, so yeah, he's re- he's really good. He is very good. Um, it's like I don't know if like anyone could like like their matchup against a guy like that, but I mean, states, state Arkansas and Vandy probably. I mean, in terms of lineups, you can throw a little miss in there too because they did hit pretty well. Like if there's someone that's going to do it, it's a top caliber lineup like that. Like with respect to Duke, they didn't really have that, even though they did score 18 runs that first night. And, and here's kind of the crazy thing about Vanderbilt. So they run Drake Fellows out yesterday, and he gets the win to go to 13-1 and one on the year. They're following it up with Kumar Rocker, who's got 10 wins. Patrick Raby's the game three starter. He's got 10 wins. And I don't know that Mason Hickman's going to get a chance to throw for Vanderbilt. Maybe he's going to throw out of the bullpen. He was their midweek starter. He went 8-0 and with a 2.23 ERA. Now, he's got seven relief appearances on the year. But he struck out 116 in 84 innings. They started Hickman over Raby in Game 3 of the Super, so that might be something to look for. Did they? Pretty sure on that. I'll trust you on it. Double check it. I might double check it, but I'll trust you for now on that. Been known to lie. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Not sure if right now is the right time to travel to the Dominican Republic. Now, I don't want to get, like, in trouble with the... Dominican Republic Tourism Department. I don't know if they're like on deck to be sponsors of this show, but uh, there's something in the water. That's correct? Yeah, it was Hickman. Okay, so Ready Hickman started game him, three. Huh, there you go. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Kind of into the... Or have we made it to the heart of the summer yet? We're, we're mid-June. I mean, we're in full-on summertime, right? Although it's not technically summer on the calendar yet. I say 4th of July, around then, you know you're in the middle of summer. Okay. Early, early parts of the summer. Kids have been out of school for, what, three weeks now. A lot of folks kind of starting to do the vacation thing, and if they're not on vacation or haven't gone on vacation yet, they're talking about a vacation. So feels like summertime. Some of you, perhaps, will make a trip to the Dominican Republic for your vacation this summer. Just be careful. Um, Dozens of Jimmy Buffett fans have fallen seriously ill in the Dominican Republic. And by the way, they're not the only ones. Borky, do you want to read your stupid little insert editorial comment here? (laughs) And believe it or not, it's not because of the music. How is it that you don't like Jimmy Buffett? I do. I'm just messing with you. Okay. Well, okay. I'm not... I like it fine, but it's not like I will put it on in the car on the way home from work. It's like a, hey, I'm sitting by the pool and I've had a sixer kind of thing. Believe it or not, I actually like Jimmy Buffett music more in the winter than I do in the summertime, which I know kind of runs counter to everything that you would think about Jimmy Buffett music. And and I'm not saying that I don't listen to it some during the summer, 
But it's like when it's really cold outside, they can kind of take you to a place mentally where you're not physically. Does that make any sense at all? No, it does. Yeah. Um, so, so here's what happened. A mysterious sickness left dozens of Jimmy Buffett fans seriously ill during a trip to the Dominican Republic. The Central Oklahoma Parrothead Association was vacationing in Punta Cana back in April, staying at the Hotel Rio Palace. Uh, I don't know. It's not Macau. Wrong part of the country, but Macao. When a number of them were sickened. When all was said and done, I lost 19 pounds, one member said, and I'm just grateful to be alive at this point. Another member told the news station that 47 of the 114 people on the trip developed symptoms, and many of them couldn't even leave their rooms. So they didn't know what caused the illness, but they, quote, all drank at the swim-up pool bar or swam at the swim-up pool deck. News comes after several other Americans were found dead at resorts in the country, the tourism minister in Dominican Republic says the deaths were completely isolated incidents. Of course he does. Have you More seen the si- videos of this stuff? It's kind of scary. Well, it's not kind of scary. It's really scary. Yeah, I, I mean, counterfeit liquor. I was telling Rippy about it at the break. There, there are videos that you can see where people will take the liquor given to them at, at a resort specifically there and pour it just over ice and yeah. mix the ice up, and it turns into a consistency like toothpaste. I have not seen that video. That's disgusting. Yeah, I probably don't want to look at it, but I'll take your word for it. That seems fairly gross. Jeez. I don't really want to drink toothpaste. So basically, make sure it's out of a sealed bottle or a sealed can. If not, don't drink it if you're going there. That's what it comes down to. Do you think it's water supply, ultimately? You would hope so. I mean, the, apparently there's mass destruction of um, seized liquor bottles that is going on there right now to make sure that's not it. But apparently that's a growing issue is counterfeit liquor that is being sold to these resorts and they're serving to people and people are getting sick. Jeez. No bueno. At all. One thing that's interesting to me about this story... And I guess we'd have to double-check. I don't know that there was a Jimmy Buffett concert in the Dominican Republic. It may have just been that it was this parrothead group from Oklahoma who shares a love of and a bond with Jimmy Buffett, and so they vacation together. That sounds oddly specific. Strikes me as kind of weird, doesn't it? Whatever floats your boat, man. What do you mean oddly specific? You said, I'm not sure there was a concert. It may be a group from Oklahoma that just likes Jimmy Buffett, as if you well, just had a hunch that that would like randomly happen. Well, in the story, I, the I, Central I, Oklahoma Parrothead Association made the trip, so it is a random group in Oklahoma that are all fans of Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, I mean, well, that part of it, but no, I mean, I, I've heard before that, I mean, they have Parrothead conventions all the time that don't necessarily have Jimmy, Jimmy Buffett there. Okay, see, I didn't know that. I read a... Um, there was a Jimmy Buffett biography that I read not too terribly long ago, a year or so ago, and they talked about the Parrothead conventions and the people that head these things up, and they will get Jimmy Buffett cover bands or tribute artists or whatever that play at these things. It's very, very rare that Jimmy Buffett actually shows up at one of their events, and when he does, these people go absolutely bonkers. But apparently they like the vacation together, and I'm sure they had 
a Jimmy Buffett cover band and, you know, Margaritaville radio going on in the background. So careful if you are traveling to the DR. With you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Quick correction, several of you have pointed out, you, you guys and girls don't miss a thing. Somewhere along the way, earlier today, I was talking about the Texas Tech-Arkansas game, and I called Texas Tech A&M, or I called the Red Raiders the Aggies, something along those lines. Thanks for the correction. I appreciate it. I misspoke. And you knew exactly what I was talking about. Rippy, you look like you're about to jump on somebody. No, I appreciate the efforts. I have no idea how we would have gotten through the 5 o'clock hour without it. Oh. I thought you were about to drop a well-actually something or other in there. I kind of just did. Yeah, you uh, you kind of did. Um, glad to have you along. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Brian Haydad will join us once again on the Farm Bureau phone line from Omaha coming up in just a little bit. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. If you're a farmer with equipment needs, need to buy a new piece of property, need to refinance an existing loan, or maybe you need to get your production loans in line for the coming year, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Online, mslandbank.com. You can find their branch locations and a phone number to reach out to them at that website, Mississippi Land Bank. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can also see about the SUVs they've got, the cars they've got. And if you're in the market for a new Ford right now, you should go and test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. But if you're a military member or a first responder and you are in the market for a new Ford, now is 100% the time to go and Test drive because there's extra special savings for you. In addition to the incentives that are going on right now, you can get extra savings as Ford's way of saying thank you. And as our way of saying thank you, we are sharing some military and first responder stories from now through the 4th of July. It's a military Monday, and so in conjunction with your local Mississippi Ford dealers, we want to tell you about Dr. Sam T. Wiles. If you've got a story that you would like to share with us, you can email sportstalk at supertalk.fm. Sportstalk at supertalk.fm. Share us the story of a hometown hero from your community, whether you're in the Mississippi Gulf Coast or in the Delta or the Pine Belt or the northeast part of the state or in DeSoto County or north-central Mississippi or Tupelo or anywhere in between. We'd love to hear about the heroes in your hometown, whether it's a military member, current, former, uh, or a first responder that's doing great work on a day-in, day-out basis. Give us a chance to share those stories. Dr. Sam T. Wiles is a professor emeritus at Mississippi State. He joined the Navy in 1944 at the age of 17. When he joined the Navy, he had $3 in his pocket. 
Now, I know 1944 was a long time, and we talk about, well, that's a lot of money for then. $3 has never been a whole lot of money, not when that's all the money that you have to your name. Dr. Wiles, serviceman in the Navy, it's quite the success story. This year, Dr. Wiles is attending the College World Series for the 37th time. He has been a College World, Se- uh, College World Series season ticket holder since 1993. So after a military service career, came back professor at Mississippi State, now professor emeritus, which is the title that we should all strive for, right? You did a good enough job that they're going to put emeritus behind your name after you retire. Dr. Sam T. Wiles back at the College World Series, and this year he gets to watch Mississippi State, his Bulldogs, playing once again in Omaha. Thanks to Carol for sending us that story. And thanks to Dr. Wiles for his service. You can share your story as well. Again, the email, sportstalk at supertalk.fm. We here at Sports Talk Mississippi and our good friends at our local Mississippi Ford dealers, to all of our local heroes, say thank you. College football fix, Borky. You're floating this question around. My guess is this is one of those that started with you and your buddies. Yeah, I was having a conversation last night. A good friend of mine is not exactly excited about the college football season. And I asked why, and he said, well, because we know who's going to win, right? He said, we know who's going to the playoff. It's going to be Alabama and Clemson and Georgia and Ohio State. Nobody can beat them, so what's the point of even watching this season? So my question is, is there somebody else that can realistically compete for and win a national championship that is not Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and will throw Ohio State in there for good measure? Can, can I start out? Oklahoma as well, excuse me. Oklahoma. Can, can I start out by being that guy and pointing out the fallacy in your friend's argument? I know. I when, know. No, 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 I know, but when he, but we can do it with a recent example. When he gives you the we know who's going to win, well, yeah, I mean, we think we know who's going to win. But Borky, you and Rippy and Hey Dad spent the last six months or the last six years, however long it was, of this NBA season saying, we know who's going to win the NBA title. Everybody else is playing for second. Doesn't matter who wins the East. We know who's going to win. The the whole season's a farce. Durant doesn't get... Those words were echoed over and over. You'd literally have to have 25 players on Alabama's roster to get injured to change the end result. It's a long season. 25 starters? Okay, you just pick that number out of thin air because you and I both know that 25 starters is not the number, not to mention the fact that Alabama didn't win it last year. Alabama and Clemson would make the college football playoff with their second, whoever's in their second part of their two deep. No, they wouldn't. Okay, give me Lawrence and everyone else. They would. If you take Clemson's two deep, or here's the problem with that, though. I get what you're saying. The problem is you don't have any backups for those guys. Sure. And part of what makes Clemson and Alabama so flipping good is the fact that their backups are as good as the front-line guys. Well, two players got hurt for the Warriors, and that dramatically changed it. That's a lot more likely than... The point, though, was we it's sports, and crazy stuff happens in sports, right? Yes, but it doesn't feel like that way in college football. It's predetermined. Right, and I, my, my question... But, but you told me the whole NBA season was predetermined. All year long you told me that. 
Yeah, but the, that's but, that, but, that's but a it false didn't, equivalence. But it didn't turn out that way because sports stuff happens. Yeah, here's here's my question though. Two injuries though. derailed their season. I will 100% be hand up. I missed that. Do what? Like if two injuries derail Clemson or Alabama season, I will be 100% say hand up. Well, Trevor Lawrence right. tearing an ACL would end Clemson's bid for a national championship. I think. Trevor Lawrence blows out a knee, Travis Etienne tears up an Achilles. That's a different football team. That's fair. Tua Tonga-Valoa, rotator cuff issue, can't lift his arm, misses eight games. My my question is, remove the injury element. Is there anybody that can just line up healthy and healthy and beat these teams is what I'm asking. Remove the Kevin Durant having an injury, Clay Thompson for good measure tearing his ACL in a game which they probably are going to win if he doesn't. Remove that element. Is there anybody else besides those five that can just line up with what they've got and what everybody else has starting the season and win is what I'm asking. Um, There are, yes. And LSU, LSU is one. Oh, Texas is one. Um, maybe Michigan. Maybe, maybe Michigan. Maybe Penn State if they catch every break right along the way. I mean, I don't. I don't think Penn State. But I mean, if you're just saying teams that can line are, up, are and there win. any teams that theoretically matched up in a college football playoff game or a national championship game with one of these five teams, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and could beat them on a one-off? Yeah, Michigan could. Yes, Texas could. Penn State, maybe. I really like Jonathan Taylor, but I don't think that's enough at Wisconsin. I don't think they do enough other stuff offensively. I'd like to see a little bit of Jacob Eason before I say yes on Washington. I think Oregon having a veteran quarterback who's really highly thought of in Justin Herbert is a team that could potentially upset the apple cart. If Texas A&M's a year ahead of schedule, maybe. Uh, is there anybody I'm missing? can't think of anybody else in the ACC right now. Florida State, Miami, no. It is an interesting question. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. All right, so the question that we had on the table for the college football fix was, is there anybody not named Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma, or Ohio State that can win the national championship? Some of your responses on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Quinn says LSU. Jeff says LSU. George in West Point says it's never over till it's over. Remember, they said there was no way Hillary would lose to Donald Trump. Stan and Ripley says Michigan has a long shot. Number from the 228 says Ask Vegas. Tim and McGee says you still have to play the games. Here's somebody for, um, I'll give Richard 3-1 to one on $1,000 that Clemson and Alabama are in the playoff. I mean... Thanks for the generous odds, I guess, but I never said for a second that Clemson and Alabama wouldn't be in the playoff. The question was, is there another team that one-on-one could beat Clemson or Alabama? And I think the answer to that is yes. Would I pick them? 
Probably not. Is it possible? Yeah. I got a text message from a buddy of mine, and he wasn't trying to turn it into an Ole Miss thing. He said, nobody thought Ole Miss would have beaten Alabama two years in a row. That was in the regular season. That's an outlier. But those things exist. Yeah, I'm talking like win the national championship game. Not just beat them. I'm talking about can they win the – is there anybody else besides them that can go win the thing? I'm with you. Gary says you got to go play the games. Yeah, we know that, but <laughs> look, I, I think the question is a reasonable question. I mean, are the odds in favor of those five teams to win the national championship? Absolutely. Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State. But Borky just said his friend said, "I'm I'm bored because we already know who's going to win it all." And my point was just like, hold on just a second. Let's let this thing play out a little bit. And with respect to the argument that Rippy was making about the NBA and college football being apples and oranges, I'll give you that. I know it's different. Completely get that it's different. But still, sports and whatnot. Brian Haydad on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. What have you been doing? Taking a nap for the last hour and a half? Uh, well, most of it was spent watching the end of the uh, Arkansas Texas Tech game. How about that? First and second, nobody out, down a run, top of the ninth, and nothing. Very, very surprising that the Hogs are the first team out to me. Very surprising. Hey, Dad, have you tried dunking after that leap yesterday? <laughs> no. What did no, I miss? Yeah, you know, maybe six. <laughs> there's a. We have a Twitter a, video we need to show you. Yeah, of uh, Hey Dad's got well, up. Richard hasn't seen it yet. Cl- clearly, no. Give me the Cliff's Notes version. Uh, hey Dad well, could have done the Vince Carter armpit in the rim. Man took flight. Why were you jumping? I was very happy. <laughs> was this this was post game? It's a little hill quick. What now? Is this because of Mississippi State's win last night? No, no this, this is was pregame. Way, way before that. Yeah. Okay, we this is really bad radio. Give me more. What am I missing? I, I told you everything I there is to know. There was a really video posted on Twitter of Haydad jumping. Hey, hey, Dad, would you mind filling in the blanks for me? I just sent it to you. I, I'm just trying. I've been trying, and no one's listening to me. We just found a really good brunch buffet. I was really happy afterwards. So I did a little hill click. <laughs> Could you have done a hill click three months ago? Oh, I don't know. Maybe not. Okay. You jumped higher than I ever did in my basketball career, so you got that going for you. Find that hard to believe, but all right. There you go. So, uh, what's happening away from TD Ameritrade? As far as like what the uh, what I'm doing? <sighs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's been pretty basic for me so thus far. We get, we go to practice in the morning. We get we get with our videos, but uh, then you know. It's been fun. This is a great city. You know, obviously, it's my first trip. 
Uh, but, I mean, every restaurant we've, we've been to, we've hit on. We haven't had a bad meal yet. Uh, we've had some good times. You know, maybe, maybe uh, I may have gone to the jug a little too hard the first night I was here, but I've recovered nicely from that. And uh, tonight, uh, with uh, Joel, it's his birthday. So we're taking him out for a nice steak tonight. There you go. Where are you going to eat a steak? We're going to a place called 801 Chop House. Okay. Have you been to the Drover yet? The Drover is not open. What do you mean, like just today or like at all? No, it's it, it, they're they're reminded they had a fire and they are uh, not currently open. Huh. I was not aware of that. Have you had a Zesto's milkshake or malt yet? A what milkshake? Where, where do I need to go? Zesto's. Z e s t o apostrophe s. I have not had that, but I'll put it on the list. Okay, you got to put that on the list. It's uh, I think the original location is close to the old Rosenblatt Stadium. Have you been to the site of the old Rosenblatt where now they've got a wiffle ball field and the home plate still in place? We ha- we haven't been by there yet. Our hope is that you know, if still can win tomorrow and, and get you know a couple days off, and maybe we'll have some time for those those extracurricular activities a little bit more. I got you. I mean, you've only been out there five days. I wouldn't you know thought you'd have, have time to do anything working. extra. I mean, you check supertalk.fm, that's quite a bit of content there for me. Yeah, there is, and and we appreciate that. I just, you know, I, that's for people to read. I need stories for the radio. I need you to tell me about all the cool stuff. You, this is what we were talking about last week. Today, this is, your, this is what you do. You can't just create these things. They have to organically happen. I can't go out there on the, on the day and be like, all right, it's something cool to happen. It just has to happen. Yeah, but you can't just like sit around the hotel all day and expect to have cool stuff well, fall in your lap. I've been, I've been, I've been going out and you know hanging out with my friends up here. It's been great, but you know, you can manufacture it. it. Ask, just ask your Uber driver to annoy the hell out of you for ten minutes. <laughs> the Uber drivers have been really nice here in Omaha. There you go. Uh, Brian Haydad on the uh, Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Uh, I guess you've been studying up on Vanderbilt, the next opponent for Mississippi State, in all of your uh, hardworking time. So what do we need to know about this matchup? Round two between Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. Heck of a pitcher's duel when these two teams met in the uh, the SEC tournament. Yeah, we, in that game you had uh, Small versus Goodfellas, and like you said, a one nothing game that Vanderbilt was able to uh, to win. And talking to Chris Lomas, you know, he didn't he didn't think he could really take too much away from that game. That you know, the the, the coming from Mississippi State after the seventeen inning affair uh, there in Hoover, that he just didn't feel like that was a, a great uh, snapshot of what it's going to be like when these two teams hit the field. And he thought that more more and what more or less. It would be like what you saw last year in the Super Regional uh, in Nashville. Those, these two teams are they are both very, very good. They both have a lot of power and pop in their lineup, but pitching-wise, they've got depth and they, they can get guys out. So this is a game that could go either way. It could be a pitcher's duel between Plumlee and Rockwell, or you could see both offenses get going pretty early. For me, the key for State, they'll, have, they'll be the home team tomorrow. They will have the, uh, the last of that is. With Rocker, he's got to be riding a little bit of an emotional high. We've already talked about the, the game he pitched last week. You got to get to him early, and, and and you know don't let him get into that zone again like Duke did a week ago. You know, get a couple of hits, even if it's not runs, just to get a couple of guys on base in the first inning. I think would go a long way for Mississippi State, and then you just sort of take it from there. Well, 
Well, and to me, the interesting thing, or one of the interesting things, is okay. Yeah, you've got two good pitchers going. Plumley was really good in his last outing. Uh, obviously, what um, Kumar Rocker did in his last outing was was spectacular. One of the better pitching performances that we've ever seen in college baseball to strike out nineteen in a no hitter in an elimination game to get to the College World Series. Stakes are really high, and I know sometimes it sounds hyperbolic to when when you start talking about best ever, but you're pretty hard-pressed to find many performances that meant more to their team to go along with, yes, it was a no-hitter. Oh, but it wasn't just a no-hitter where he went through it in 85 pitches. It was 120 pitches and 19 strikeouts and a no-hitter with the stakes so high. That a lot of words to say, great pitching matchup, but you pointed out a second ago, and we may need to talk about this after the break, these are the two best offenses in the SEC. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why I said, you know, he could go either way. But with Rocker, like you mentioned, that 120 pitches, you know, he can obviously go deep into the ball game if you need him to. That's why I think it's very imperative for State to strike early in this game. They can't, I don't think they can count on another ninth inning. Obviously, you can't count on another ninth inning like they just had. They need to get the bats going early and often. It would be interesting to see if they change anything about their approach when they get to the plate on uh, Tuesday. More coming up with you, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. We are coming to you live on this Monday afternoon. Mississippi State, a winner in dramatic fashion last night. They will play again tomorrow night in a big game against Vanderbilt. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio in Jackson, Brian Scott Rippey with me, Brian Haydad coming to us from Middle America. He's in Nebraska, College World Series, Omaha. What a game last night. And uh, new listening audience since we visited in the 3 o'clock hour. So, Haydad, let's kind of rewind, oh, about 20 hours or so. And you go back to last night's ball game. And nothing's going well for Mississippi State. They're getting some hits, but when they get hits, they're stranding runners on bases. Uh, Ethan Small was a, an average version of himself, to strike, despite striking out eight. And, yeah, giving you a chance. I mean, it never got out of hand, but he just wasn't the dominant Ethan Small that we've become accustomed to. Defensively, Mississippi State was not great in the ball game. They used four arms out of the bullpen, and it just kind of looks like a lost cause until you go to the ninth inning. And you really summed it up there. I mean, I think I tweeted that everything State was doing to that point was a recipe to lose. Errors, leaving guys on base, uh, not being able to drive the ball and get extra base hits, giving up two out hits. Everything Auburn was doing was working. Everything Mississippi State was doing was not working. And it completely turned on its head in the ninth, and really in a way that baseball is sort of unique in the way things can go like that. And for me, like I said, you know, I've covered a lot of events. Uh, in my time covering Mississippi State, but that is right at the top of the most improbable wins uh, for for anybody I've ever seen. Uh, just I had no confidence. I loved it. I had zero confidence in State to be able to pull that off. I thought they might be able to get a couple of runs across, but you know, that's a, that's a big hill to climb. And then when Auburn brings in Tanner Burns, you know I know he's he's not much for that's his first ever release pitch, so it's a new situation for him. He's still a really good pitcher. I did not think that it would be he he would be the one that got touched for the runs and ended up losing the game. If you're looking ahead to tomorrow night's ball game, it's pretty remarkable 
when you put the numbers side by side for Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. Bulldogs for the year, 52 and 13, hitting 317 as a team. Vanderbilt 55 and 11, school record 55 wins, hitting as a team 317. Uh, Mississippi State has 162 doubles on the year. Vanderbilt has 158. 10 triples for Mississippi State, 19 for Vanderbilt, 95 home runs. So Vanderbilt, a lot more home runs, 32 home runs than Mississippi State has hit this season. Stolen bases also favor Vanderbilt. They've got 78 in 98 tries, but it's not way out of whack. Mississippi State, 61 of 79. And then probably a a little bit of an advantage in fielding as well. When you compare pitching numbers, ERAs, 346 team ERA for Mississippi State, 379 for Vanderbilt. Strikeouts for the year. Mississippi State, 704 as a staff. Vanderbilt, 711. Walks for the year. Mississippi State, 222. Vanderbilt, 251. Batting average against. Opponents are hitting 224 against Mississippi State. Opponents are hitting 227 against Vanderbilt. These two teams, in a lot of ways, are, are kind of carbon copies of each other. Yeah, and, and you know, I I thought all year that you could put Arkansas in that discussion for the regular season. These were the best two teams, though, for, for me. They top to bottom, they just had the most depth, they had the most talent, and I think they had the best chance of, of winning here in Omaha, even going back, you know, to February and March, and. This, this team, this matchup, it's sort of been a long time coming. You know, you got a taste of it at the SEC tournament. They didn't play each other in the regular season. And so we've sort of been denied this, this matchup of these two teams. But we're going to get it uh, Tuesday night. It should be a really good game. Like you said, these two teams are so evenly matched. Uh, Rocker has been fantastic all year. Plumlee is sort of the, the comeback story, you know, coming back from his suspension from a season ago and, and to play so well. And to get a chance now to pitch in Omaha, which was denied him a season ago because he wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't eligible. So, yeah, there's a lot of storylines working in this game. Of course, the biggest storyline is this. Whoever wins this game is really going to have the, their, their, the advantage when it comes to getting to, to the final and to the World National Championship Series. Who's more equipped to lose this game and then come back through the loser's bracket? You probably have to say Vanderbilt, just a little bit more pitching depth, especially on the Storms. The state loses, you know, they would have to go with the game against the winner of Louisville and Auburn, and then probably pitch Ethan Small in the first game of the uh, series against, or the two games against Vanderbilt. So then you're looking at Ethan coming back at short rest on Saturday uh, to pitch against Vanderbilt, or do you have to go with somebody like Brandon Smith or something like that? I think whereas with Vanderbilt, you know, they still have to pitch Patrick Raby. They, they, they just have a little bit more, I think, in terms of, of their depth that they would probably be a little bit better off. What do we make of JT again at, at, at this point? He's the X factor right now. He's the X factor. If he is the first half of the season, JT again, Mississippi State's going to win the national championship. That's going to happen. Uh, is, if, if, if they don't get that guy, it's going to be really tough for them. You know, they need him to go out there when he finally gets the ball, and I'm going to assume that'll be the you know the next game MSU plays after Tuesday to go out there and give them a quality start, six plus innings of the kind of ball he was pitching in the first half of the season. He's basically had, I mean, he hasn't pitched since 
the Friday of the Super Reach of the I'm sorry, of the regional, we're only through what two and a third innings or something like that before he had to come out with soreness. So if he's not rested, if the soreness hasn't subsided by now, I don't know that it's going to subside before the end of the season. So if he's if he can be what he was, state state really becomes the favorite to me uh, to win this. But if he if he's not then it's going to be very tough for MSU to come out of the loser's bracket if they lose to Vanderbilt. What leads you to believe, you said X-Factor, and and I think, I don't want to misquote you, but I think what you said is if JT again is the guy that he was in the first half of the season, then Mississippi State's winning the national championship. That's what you said, right? Yes. What leads you to believe, based on what you've seen in the last six weeks, that that's the JT again that you're going to get? Oh, I don't know that I believe it. I just know that if it's true, if it does work out that way, if the rest has has healed him up and he's that guy, then State has, you know, another ace in in the hole. But right now, I mean, I'm as cautious, pessimistic, whatever word you want to use, that that's going to actually happen. Uh, Because, like I said, it's just basically since he missed that start against Tennessee, I guess I shouldn't say he missed the start. They they, they threw him out there for an inning and then they pulled him. They just said he, he didn't feel right. Um but since then, he's just been inconsistent. There's no other way to put it. You know, he's had some moments where he looked like the, the guy that we saw at the beginning of the season who was so dominant, mowed down Texas Tech and looked really good at Florida. But then we had you know some of the short outings where he's had to come out, and even when he has pitched into you know the fifth or sixth inning, he's, been, he's had to grind his way through. He hasn't just been dominant. So I don't know if that guy is going to show back up or not, but if he does, it's a huge, huge plus for Mississippi State. Is there any reason – to believe that this is more than just a tired arm or a sore arm. I, I know, again, you, you get into a college season, you're, you're talking about a longer year, but this has really been going on, what, since the midway point of SEC play, where it's felt like you've had to be careful with JT again, and you watch him and you go, hey, it doesn't look quite right, oh, the arm's sore, we need to give him some extra rest. I, I guess I'm trying to, is this normal? I don't know. I mean, because you know how many first-round draft choice, choices make it to Mrs. make it to school. I mean, most of them just go on and they go into the minors, and it's just a different routine for them. Um, for Ginn, you know, I don't, obviously this is the most innings he's ever pitched in his career, and you know it's possible in the first half of the season he just extended himself a little too much. It's also possible, and I'm not a doctor, and we really are all speculating here, but it, it is possible that there's some other issue there that you know only the off season is going to to heal up for it. Um, we'll find out. Uh, I know that he wants to pitch and that he wants to get out there and that he feels comfortable right now. But once you start throwing pitches and, and that mean something, you know things can can change in a hurry. That's what happened uh, in the regional. Again, looked pretty sharp in the first couple of innings, and then it just went a little sideways in there while he was warming up. So yeah, it's just touch well, and go, and wait and see whatever cliche you want to use. And, and I was not trying to put you in a bad spot. I'm not speculating about his health one way or the other. It's just it, the season looks different, and the line of demarcation is the Auburn weekend. So he goes five innings yeah. in the opener against Young, Youngstown State, seven innings in back-to-back games against Southern Miss and Texas Tech, six against Maine, six and a third against Florida, seven against Auburn, and a win. And against Auburn in that win, three hits, two earned runs, a walk, and six strikeouts. He had 11 strikeouts the week before against Florida. But after that, five innings and a loss to LSU, one inning against Tennessee, four against Bama, five and five in Arkansas and Georgia, six against A&M, and pitched really well against A&M. 
four and two thirds against Ole Miss, six against South Carolina, two and a third against LSU, and then three against Southern. It's the outings just aren't as long. You know, outside of the six innings against Texas A&M and against South Carolina, it's been a bunch of five or less inning outings for him. Certainly hope that he can get back to where he was and give you that deep outing in the game because it certainly helps Mississippi State's chances. Right. No no question about that yet. And, yeah, I forgot about the Texas A&M start. He was really good in that start. And he ended up taking the loss. Remember, that was the uh, seven-inning game that was shortened because of the weather, and it lost a one-nothing game. So, yeah, even if you get that guy back, it's going to be good enough to win. So, if Ginn is – I'll stand by that. If Ginn is healthy, especially if State wins tomorrow, then if Ginn is healthy, it's going to be really, really difficult to beat Mississippi State. They, they will probably be – they will probably end up as the national champion if Ginn is back to his, his, his first half of the year self. All right, man. We will catch up with you tomorrow. Thanks, Ada. Absolutely. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.